This is episode 74 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Mindy Carney, and I am joined by my co-host, Jonathan Wiley. I like how in here you wrote, insert multiple superlatives. I was going to say just Jonathan Wiley, and then I thought better of it, because that's not really superlative. I didn't hear any superlatives. I know. I know. I was, you know, setting you up there to... Setting me up for, or setting you up. Fishing for compliments. Yeah, I got nothing for you today. Nothing? Nothing. Healthy. You're healthy, Jonathan Wiley. Today I'm healthy. Yes. All right. Yeah. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. News and follow-up. What's going on here? I don't even, I haven't even looked at any of these. Let's hit me. Create and use multiple signatures in Gmail. Yeah, this is hot off the press. Oh. Well, as we record, it came out yesterday, oh, I all guess. Right. All right. And um, it gives you the option to select from more than one signature inside of Gmail now. Okay. So, so, well, I think about it sometimes, you know, if I'm sending an email to a school, like you and I have some pretty lengthy email signatures, yes. if you think about it. Yeah. It's got our name, our title, where we work, it's got contact information, it's got links to our blog posts and podcasts yeah, and right. all that stuff. And But if I was just emailing something to you, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily need all that junk. Right. I could just have like a little condensed signature. So you're going to flip back and forth depending on who. How do you flip? So... It's not currently live yet for oh, us, but shocker. when you go into the settings <laughs> where your signatures are, you can create a new signature. Okay. And then there's a button on the um, toolbar when you're creating your email, and you just select the signature that you want, almost like canned responses. Nice. You know, where you select okay. the canned response you want. Yeah. So multiple signatures in Gmail uh, is coming soon. It yeah. starts rollout March 10th, but it could take up to 15 days if you're on rapid release. For everybody else, it starts March 24th. I um, just started using a new email signature probably two months ago from Ystamp. Have you looked at that ever? I saw your email signature. Yeah, so I don't have, like, my signature, you know, I used to have, like, all of our team stuff. And I took it off because now um, with Ystamp, it has all of the um, little, like, social media icons. And so if you were to click on one of those little icons in my signature, it would take you to our team stuff but what's fun about it is that it gifts like a signature at the end so mine says thanks and it gifts it over and over again why stamp is like a little early nugget right there you could yeah, save that know, one to the end i know and i just had somebody ask me the other day like how do you do that the only thing i don't like about it but i get why it's there is that there's a link to why stamp on my email signature I bet if you paid them some money, they would take that off. I'm certain they would too, but I'm not paying for it. So, and so remind me how that works. Do you like copy and paste? You create it in Y stamp and then yeah. copy and paste it into the signature box? Yes. Yeah. And even if I go into the signature thing in my settings and try and delete that little link, it lets me delete it, but it still shows up in my email every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was you- like, oh, I'll just delete this in my settings. Nope. It always pops back up. So. You could now have multiple Y-stamp signatures in I your could. email. Look at I that. know. So mm-hmm. instead of – there's a couple. So I have like thanks. I think there's three that you can choose from from the free um, account. So, yeah, now I could have – I could choose what my little gift word is to sign up on my email. I might try that. All right. Okay. Second Google update yep. that we have here is experience the new Google Groups Wait, launching what? in beta. Okay. And it's not really 
much to talk about here other than, you know, if you go to the Google Groups um, webpage it's right from now. 19, like it's from 1993. Yeah, it's classic <laughs> Google. <laughs> it doesn't, it didn't get the update to all the material design and all that good stuff. So they are doing a new version of that. However, at the moment, it's going to be like when they first added the new Google Sites, when okay. you had the old Google Sites oh, yeah. and the new Google Sites. And so and you're going to have the old Google Groups and the new Google Groups. Okay. Um, so they're just giving it a facelift, really, and making it fit in better with all the other stuff. However, if you happen to say, you know, you click that button that says, try the new Google Groups, yeah. um, not all the features are there yet. Okay. So, I hope um, it's better than like the new Google like contacts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think we want to talk about that. Still super annoyed about contacts and Still Google. Still bitter. Bug. Still real bitter about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Have you seen this one here about fixing images to certain locations inside of Google Docs? I don't think so. Again, this is one that is not currently live for us because it only came out like a couple of days ago. Okay. But um, it gives you a little bit more control over um, image placement uh-huh. inside of a Google Doc. And okay. if you click the link there, you'll see oh, yeah. there's new, like, almost where it says format options or yeah. image options over in the side there. Right. You can now choose a little bit more about um, how you want text to behave yeah. when it is around your picture. But you had that before. You had some of those options. Yeah, I'm just before. wondering. Yes. Yeah, right. Now you've got more options under t- image options, maybe. I kind of wish that they went the route that, well, you've done this before, I'm sure, in Pages on the iPad, where oh. you just put a picture in and you drag it anywhere. You and can the put text, it anywhere you want it. And the text will just wrap magically yes. around it, yeah. anywhere you want it. Right. And, and it's kind of harder to do that in Docs and in Word, I think, too. But, you know, yeah. I, that is my ultimate goal for images oh. in Google Docs, I think. Okay. I'm still waiting for the next step. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. And last but not least on this list, uh, Google are extending Hangouts Meets Premium features to all G Suite customers through July 1, 2020. What does premium features mean? Does Hangout? Yeah. So what does Hangouts meet? What? <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> where I was too, because, you know, we, I mean, here at Grant Wood, we use uh, Zoom right. for most things. I don't really remember the last time I did a Hangouts video call. Because it's, it's not great, but. Yeah, and that's right. why we moved to Zoom, and, and maybe it's better now. But yeah, right. I didn't. Maybe. I wasn't aware there was premium features. Yeah. So um, this is obviously in response to um, the coronavirus outbreak we have right now. Sure. Um, but larger meetings for up to two hundred and fifty participants per call. Oh my gosh! That would be a big. Oh, that's hangout. like a nightmare. Okay. Yeah, that's almost like. Yeah, please don't do that, but okay, continue. Live streaming for up to 100,000 viewers within the domain. So, like, if we decided to live stream the podcast or something, we could have 100,000 people on there. Wow, 100,000 people. We could almost get all of our listeners in there. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also record meetings to Google Drive. So you can't do that with a free version? Apparently not. Oh. Unless you screencast it or something. Okay, yeah, sure. Hmm. All right. So there you go. That's some of our Googly updates. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So served next main course served to you piping hot student engagement. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good one. Okay. I feel like we should have talked about this before now. I think we talk about it probably more than you think. Yes. Just not as our main topic. 
Just like Canva. Just like Canva. Okay. Well, we talk about it a lot. We talk we around Canva a lot. Yeah, I think we, we talk, talk around, around this too. student engagement a lot. I got asked to um, uh, go to a, a school district recently yeah. who were um, looking for some ideas and hints and help on this kind of thing. So it's kind of fresh in my mind right sure. now. Sure. And, you know, I think it starts with what is your definition of engagement? Mm. Because we have this whole uh, underlying sub debate here on um, engagement versus compliance. We do. And I think we've talked about this before, too. Yeah, I think I always use my kids as well, my son as an example, because I think he's probably a very compliant kid. Um, I, I don't know. I think sometimes his compliance is mistaken for engagement. Yeah. Without, I mean, I, without going into that too much, I just yeah. think that like, because he doesn't cause problems and he's not naughty and he just is always been a rule follower that sometimes he just kind of might get overlooked at times. No, I, I think when, I think back to when I was teaching and, you know, the, the administrators do the walkthroughs, your classroom yeah. and stuff like right. that, you know, I always felt like, you know, they're looking to make sure all oh, the sure. kids are doing what On they're task. supposed to be doing. Right? You know, yes. nobody's uh, throwing chairs. Nobody's, right. you know, right. doing a tantrum in the corner or something. But everybody's, you know, there is calm and order in the classroom. Right. Sure. People are doing what these people are supposed Absolutely. to be doing. But that's that's compliance. Yeah, and right. So thinking about what what is a meaningful engagement in the work when students are really thinking hard and mm -hmm. going deeper in their learning that's where I think more about engagement yeah and I think I, I a couple of things there I think it's really important for school districts who are doing walkthroughs or um, administrators or coaches or whoever that are doing walkthroughs that that conversation about engagement is very clear and defined so I think it's hard to it would be hard for me to walk into a classroom for 15 minutes and decide if the kids were engaged because I think you have to know the kids too. And, mm -hmm. um, but say to me, the biggest sign of engagement are the, 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 the student talk that's happening. So if you hear your students talking with one another, um, or if you're observing and you hear the kids talking with one another about the learning, to me, that is a really great sign that they're engaged in the learning. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I think, you know, if you're thinking about that, you know, that walkthrough kind of scenario there, if you're walking through and you see all the kids sitting in silence, in rows, whatever, right. everybody doing their work individually, then, yeah, that's probably not engagement. I mean, yeah, right. engagement looks different. It looks kind of messier. It looks, mm -hmm. you know, more free form. There's sure. going to be different groups in different places, different people doing different things. Someone right. may be quiet, someone may be talking, some on computers, someone not. And right. so, yeah, it's much more variety in there, I think. For yeah, them. sure, sure. So the other thing I, I kind of saw as well on this was uh, Brian McClaskey. We've come in contact with some of their books before. Um, they've got this blog post on the continu continuum of engagement. Mm -hmm. Easy for me to say, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> From compliant to flow. And, you know... They've got one of those uh, Sylvia Duckworth graphics on there, right, which I yeah. think instantly makes your blog post just a little bit nicer, it does, more for colorful sure. yeah, and cheery. Right. But, you know, they talk about moving from teacher centered to learner centered to learner driven, wow. which I think is well, an interesting like conversation, the, but yeah. it's, it's a tough conversation to yeah, have. Yeah, sure it is. I think, um, 
definitely when I look at this graphic too, when it says um, about how students are in control and responsible for their own learning um, and that they're intrinsically motivated. And, you know, that's a hard thing to, that's a hard thing to measure and to like actually know whether or not your students are intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Yeah. Can't put a test on that, can you? Mm -mm. No. (laughs) So let's uh, jump in then with some, maybe some concrete ideas. I found some of these, and I mean, you know I'm on a bit of a UDL kick right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. These from the UDL guidelines, because one of their pillars is about engagement, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an important one. Yeah. So what they talk about optimizing relevance for students with the, the content that you've got. So maybe varying the activities and the sources of information so that they can be personalized to their uh, lives, uh, that they're culturally relevant and responsive, Mm -hmm. that they're socially relevant, making sure it's appropriate for different, you know, racial, cultural, ethnic, gender groups. Because like when you and I went to school, we probably had, you know, examples in books of that 2.4 family unit with one boy, one girl and a white American mm -hmm. or European families and that sort of thing. And now our our texts are more diverse in order to try and be more representative of the students and things we have. But yeah, we're, we're making movements in that area but if you can do that with some of the activities and examples you're using in class I think that really helps so I think it's also important to think about like multiple entry points for your students and I think allowing some and I think this is where we're headed next to is allowing some student choice as far as how they enter into a task so some students might do some online reading I prefer always to have a book in my hand or a piece of paper in my hand. I'm not a great digital reader. I have a really hard time with that. You might have students who prefer to get the content through video. And so just allowing different entry points for different students so that they can still engage with one another, but allowing them to have a little bit of choice of how they learn best or how they feel like accessing that content in particular is I think a super important thing to kind of start thinking about in your classroom. Yeah, I agree. And and making those making those choices um relevant and authentic for for kids as well. Right. I mean, um I feel like it it's great giving kids choices, but if your choices suck, mm-hmm. then yeah. your kids <laughs> right. are not going to be engaged. Right. I can't <laughs> remember like when I was in prep school like that it was like a thing when they said like make copies on different pieces different colored pieces of paper do you remember this probably not because you were actually probably in a better prep school than I was but um how like if you were going to make a copy on a worksheet like you should allow kids to choose a pink copy or a green copy or a blue copy that's how yes I know right Mm -hmm. so that kind of aligns with like if it's still a crappy choice then so what's the point it's the same worksheet but it's just a different color worksheet on a different piece of color paper okay i never had those choices oh my gosh well why it doesn't because it's not important to the learning (laughs) i guess yeah Yeah. right and so i mean i think back to like some of the things you guys do in blended learning you're doing choice boards which are an interesting option for choices yeah um it's definitely something that people could uh, take some time to do Mm -hmm. um one of the things I, i see in terms of 
we're talking about, you know, having better choices on there or having different choices. Right. Is to to vary the type of activities that are going to be on there. So maybe one will be a writing task or maybe Mm -hmm. one will be um, watching videos. Maybe one will be uh, creating something on a like artistically, Mm -hmm. you know, having meeting those different models of of learning Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, the choices is going to help you match the different learning interests of your kids. Right. And I know like when I was in the classroom, I have been very reflective about this um, this year, it seems like, where I kind of um, have thought about what my students were doing during like stations or when I allowed them to choose between this thing or that thing. The one thing I would say about choice boards is that they should still align with your core content that you want your students to be working on. So. Mm those choices can't be fluff choices. They right. have to be choices that actually move students forward um, in the learning. And so one of the things that we've just, Beth and I have just recently kind of been talking about is like, what if your choice board had like this overarching question? And within your choices there, the choices are to move you f- forward in coming up with a response to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, or like a talking point around that. So let's say I have this um, big question and like you talked about using art as a way to um, be a talking point around that question. So when any of the learning that I'm doing is helping me form some form my understanding and form a response around that and allowing then choices of how I um, – or maybe the parts of that question that I'm more interested in would be kind of a different way to think about choice boards too. Yeah, and if you're a teacher that's, you know, worried that, you know, kids are always going to choose the same type of activity or they're always going to look for an easy out somewhere, then there's always that option to, like, if you do yours in, like, a tic-tac-toe board kind of arrangement, you can have, like, a forced choice type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You can say you have to do the center circle, but then you can do two on either side to make a line or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can absolutely, um, you know, make that an option for your choice boards too. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because when we start talking about choice, I think sometimes it sounds like a lot of work and it is, it's going to be a little bit more work for sure. Um, But then we start thinking like, but like you said, kids are just going to choose what's the easiest for them always. Um, But there might be, choice isn't always the option every single time either. There might be parts of your classroom time with your students or parts of the instruction where they get to choose. Um, And so it's just about building it in in places. It doesn't mean they get to do like free choice all day long. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a good point about, you know, it's going to take some work. Mm -hmm. I think all of this is going to take some work. Absolutely. It's one of those things where, you know, you don't change or you don't do new things. You're not ever going to improve if you don't put some effort in. It, teaching is, is just one of those jobs. It's not one of those jobs where you come out of college and then you have learned, you have mastered it. You are a teacher now mm-hmm. and you do the same things for 30, 40 years right. because, you know, it, it's always changing, constantly evolving. And, you know, it's one of it's classic example of people who you know taught one way and then they put computers in their classroom yeah. and then they taught the same way and mm-hmm. it's it's not the same yeah we right. always have to adapt and right. and change and trying to move forward in our in our practice yeah and to kind of like address that a little bit too like my suggestion when teachers are starting to work on choice boards is just like find um 
find an activity that is a little bit generic so you can plop content in there. So the students become used to this type of activity. It's just what the type of content that they're working with is different in there. So my easiest example of this is um, when I was in the classroom, we did word sorts with our kids and they were always around specific spelling patterns and identifying which word had a spelling pattern. So once my students kind of understood how to do that word sort and the work that they needed to do within there, then that activity wasn't more work for them. And I didn't have to spend time trying to give them directions around that. It was just different words for that week. You know what I mean? So finding those things that you can, you know, continue to recycle, it's just what gets plopped in there is different, I think helps minimize that. And I think it minimizes the amount of time and disruptions that you might have when your students are like, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, so um, I think that helps. And if you have, of course, someone to work with you, if you have a teammate or something who's willing to do some of this planning with you, I think that helps too, clearly. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe another thing to think about then is um, are there barriers to learning in in your classroom? Sure. And this is the idea that I think is tough for some educators to think about because sometimes when kids are not getting the content, we Mm -hmm. think, okay, so those kids are my struggling kids and they're having problems here with with this for whatever reason but we need to think about are there things we can do to modify the task Mm -hmm. to make it more approachable for those kids is there you know is it something in science where you're having kids read things out of a textbook in order to complete some uh, lab or something when the kids that are struggling there are they're not struggling scientists they're Mm -hmm. struggling readers right and they they know the science and they're into the science and Mm -hmm. they're engaged in the science but that barrier is the is the reading there the text right so you know thinking about different ways that we can uh, present content to kids or give them access to content whether it's uh, a transcript or an audio recording or speech to text type of things or text to speech Mm -hmm. charts slide decks, closed captions, all that kind of stuff on there is going to help um, just remove some of those barriers to accessing the content. Yeah. Well, and even, I mean, in some cases, just having, you know, the procedure where like if you go to do an activity or whatever, one one of the people in that group or whatever always reads the instructions out loud, right? It doesn't require you to have some tech, although I'm not saying that that's going to fix I mean, there are kids that really are going to need to be able to listen to those directions over and over or a couple of times. Um, but just having that simple procedure where I mean, and the person who's going to pick that up is the person who's comfortable reading aloud and is capable of accessing that text. Um, but just having that one simple little thing, that one little rule, you know, within your classroom helps everyone access that text at the same time. Yeah, and I think some of it comes back to that uh, relevance piece we started with too. You know, can mm-hmm. you can you uh, connect some of this to prior learning or to things they've done in other curricular areas? Sure. You know, can you scaffold that learning somehow? Can you, you know, sort things into KWL grids and concept maps and, and yeah. all that good stuff? Can you chunk things into smaller pieces and so it's not so um, overwhelming? Right. So, yeah, think about barriers for sure. Well, and I think even when you talk about like chunking information, that kind of goes back to that choice board of sorts. You know, if you take those small chunks of information and those are different parts of your choice board, it's an easy way to take big concepts and make them more attainable. 
Yeah, break them up into bite-sized chunks. Bite-sized chunks. I see what you yeah, did there. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, Mindy, you're a big uh, John Hattie uh, advocate. Oh, sure. Are mm-hmm. there any of those uh, visible learning uh, strategies or, or research things that you think would be relevant here in order to help increase student engagement? Yeah, so... Um, as with anything, I think, uh, and we've been talking, it seems like a lot about this this year with blended learning is just those teacher-student relationships. Um, and another factor, and I actually I should probably know the effect size, but it's over one point something, is um, when teachers believe that their students are going to be successful, that directly relates to how successful students are. Yeah, it's like a top five oh yeah it's like one i mean i'm gonna make up a number it's like 1.6 or something like it is like through the roof it's a crazy number um but how important it is for you know students to feel like their teachers believe in them but but i also think that leans then and you have this one down here is the teacher student relationships which is 0.48 and if you're kind of wondering what those numbers mean um when we talk about the number we Numbers are tricky when it comes to, I think, effect size because we say that 0.4 um, is how much students will attain in one year of life, regardless of what we do to them. They yeah. are going to grow 0.4 just with life experiences and, you know, being engaged in the world around them. So when we look at those numbers, anything over 0.4 excels that growth. But it also has to be done um, – so sometimes when we look at those numbers and they're low, it doesn't mean that they don't have a really great effect size. It just might mean that we're not doing it very well. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always think like talking about effect size is super tricky. Um, but I really do think that kind of the stuff that you talked about with UDL really directly relates to those teacher-student relationships because it requires um, understanding between the relationships back and forward – um, and also probably requires a lot of feedback f- between teachers and students, too, so teachers know if what they're doing is working for their kids, um, which also, I think, lends itself to scaffolding. And if you know your kids, you know where their entry points are um, and, you know, what's attainable for them and what's going to need some more support. And I think that's really important, too. Yeah. And things like, you know, I put on your uh, teacher clarity as well, you know, yeah. being super clear about what your expectations yeah. are, what it is you want kids to do, not just dropping some random assignment on them and saying, hey, it's Thursday, mm-hmm. it's grammar, go Today do this. Today we do grammar yeah. on Thursdays. And I'm sure yeah. people don't do that, but, you know, it, you've got to be really super uh, intentional about what it is you want for expectations for students. Yeah, Right. So the last one that you had on this list um, was self-efficacy, and that's really just about um, your ability to kind of stick with something Mm. and see yourself through and know your strategies. And I mean, it's self-efficacy, I think, is really about kind of your your guts, right? Like yeah. if you can stick with something and, and, um, I think some of that comes down to like classroom culture as well. Yes, what, absolutely. what are you sure. encouraging and, uh, wanting your kids to be doing in terms of the, their approach to learning, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right. So lots of good stuff on there. I'll put, um, as many links to all this as I can. Maybe I can put a little slide deck together or something for people with links, but, um, you know, think about optimizing the relevance, Give kids choice, remove barriers, and uh, think about, you know, 
are your kids engaged or are your kids compliant? I mean, I think there's definitely time for compliance, yeah. but don't fall into the trap necessarily by thinking, you know, um, I need a uh, go guardian or something like that in yeah, order to right. get my kids engaged in work. Yeah. That's going to cut down in distractions. And that is, there's definitely a place and a need where you want to remove some of those distractions, but that doesn't equal student engagement. That yeah, just right. helps them, you know, focus a little bit more to help them. It's going to involve other factors as well. All right. Next part of the podcast, my favorite is tech nuggets. I'll go first. Sure. Go first. So I was um, meeting with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, which is Jeff Vaughn. He is a tech coach out in Anamosa. I feel pretty offended by that remark. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, in a meeting with him last week, and I he said, hey, look at this. This is pretty cool. He had um, on his calendar, uh, like what he was calling, uh, what is that fruit? Gum. Mm, fruit stripe fruit stripe gum which it has like lines of different colors through it do you know if this gum i'm not um, a it's big like a, gum i feel person. like it's a gum of my childhood anyway um so he showed me this chrome extension which is called event merge for google calendar and what that means it's just kind of a fun thing is that um when i shared my calendar with jeff and he shared his calendar with me this Chrome extension, like um, marbles, are calendar events that we have together. So if I were to turn on Jeff's calendar and my calendar, it would overlay those two colors. So if mine's purple and his is green, it's marbled purple and green on that calendar event that we share together. Marbled? Yeah, it's like a yeah. like a candy stripe. Yeah, so it just goes... It's like striped, okay. purple, green, purple, green, purple, green, because it's a shared event between the two of us. I have not seen that before. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's Yeah, it's not necessarily like a life-changing Chrome extension, but it was definitely just kind of a fun, like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And now we know. Okay, so I'm going to jump to, well, you've heard of a twofer before, right, oh, Mindy? sure, yeah, yes. A two-for-one. Yeah. I'm going to go one up on that and give you a threefer okay, today. Okay, let's do it. Uh, I'm just going to lump three things together here that All I've right. um, found, and they are in relation to free music that you can use in your classroom. Okay. And maybe just for fun, I will oh. play some okay. as I do this segment of the podcast. Okay. You can enjoy that. I'm sure I am. Yeah. So uh, three different um, websites here where you can go and find music for your multimedia projects. And the first one is called mixkit.co. And mixkit.co is a fairly recent one to me. I think I saw it through Richard Byrne's site. But they have uh, stock video clips, okay. stock music, and oh. Premiere Pro templates. 
which I thought was an interesting combination. Like to make your own? What's Premiere Pro template? So Premiere Pro is uh, like Adobe's uh, fancy video editor. Oh. And so if you want like a like an, an intro with like text yeah. and graphics yeah, yeah. and all that stuff flying yeah. around, you can have all that um, in there because they have templates for oh, that too. Okay. So stock video, stock music, and video templates from the Mix Kit guys. Okay. Jump in, take a look at those. Mm-hmm. And then we've got two here that are kind of related. This first one is called Incompitech. Mm-hmm. Dot filmmusic.io. Okay. It's quite the it's long really URL in, yeah, here, but important. if you search for Incompitech, you will probably find it. Okay. It's by a guy called uh, Kevin McLeod. Okay. Who is a composer who, and he has a Wikipedia page. I had to look this up. Oh, he boy. has released over. 2,000 tracks into Creative Commons licenses. Oh, and thank like you. That too. So if you are ever in that YouTube audio library, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see in there, you'll see a lot of his yeah. tracks in oh, there too by Kevin huh. McLeod. Okay. So, and he's put like a little collection of, of things together that you can basically use them for whatever you want. They nice. have creative license, uh, Creative Commons licenses on them. So you have to attribute them back sure. to the source, but you can use them in any project that you want. Nice. And the last one we have on here is called freepd.com. And in freepd, the PD stands for public domain. Oh. So these are public domain tracks that you don't even need to um, attribute or yeah. license. They're just out there for anybody to use. Uh, in, in the FAQ, it's kind of amusing. Uh, it's got, it says, can I use this on YouTube? Yes. Can I use it on Facebook? Yes. <laughs> can I put this music on my site and sell it? Well, technically, yes, because yeah. it's yeah. it's free for anybody to, to use and do what they want with. So um, I'm going to say the music you're hearing right now is going to be from freepd.com. Oh, nice. So there you go. Some um, free music Love for that. your multimedia projects. Okay. So this is interesting. I have these two things because these are two things in the last month that um, have been mentioned that people did not know about. So I'm just going to toss them out there. Do it. One more time. I feel like we've talked about them, but I'm just going to say it one more time. So you're only doing a twofer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but I'm not going to talk a ton about it. I'm just going to give like a little first one I um, shared with someone that they hadn't heard of before was right. Storyline Online. I have not heard of this. Are you serious? Go for it. Okay. Educate me. Okay. So Storyline Online is a site that is supported by the Screen Actors Guild. There are um, these actors who are doing read-alouds of popular books. Okay. Um, They – it's fantastic. So just go and – and the nice thing about it is that – Sometimes when we find books that are being read aloud on YouTube, mm. they're technically not legal. Mm-hmm. I feel like because it's the Screen Actors Guild, these books are safe and you can know that you are being compliant with the law. Okay. So, um, and, you know, the fact that they're actors, they use like fun voices and stuff. So one of the ways we used to use this when I was in the classroom was we would connect these links from YouTube to QR codes and stick them to the back of a book so kids could listen to the book or follow along with the paper book. Okay? Right. Got it. The next one is Autocrat. 
Wait, I'm, you're moving on already? Yeah, oh. Okay. What? Uh, what well, I'm just looking at some of the, oh. the actors, voice readers they have yeah, here. Yeah, they're like a big deal. I know. Yes, They've these are like, like the big deal. These are like big time people. Al Gore, Allison Jenny, Sean Astin. Uh, who else we got on here? Chris Pine. You know, they got some big names. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so right. you, if you're not using Storyline Online, you are missing out. I'm going to take this home to my kids tonight. Oh, yeah, they're going to love it. Instead of watching Dude Perfect, we're going to put on the oh, yeah. Storyline Online. You betcha. They'll love it. Yes, they will. Okay, next one is Autocrat. Real quick about Autocrat. I've heard of this one. Yeah, I know you've heard of this one. And I'm not going to go into like all the details about Autocrat, except that Autocrat helps you you create like a template Autocrat is a tool that allows you to take information that is coming in through a Google form or a sheet and you push that information into the template and then you can email it out to the person who's filled that information in. Correct. How did I do? Good. Yeah. So where you would find that would be as an add-on in Google Sheets. Yes. There are a ton of tutorials out there. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard of Autocrat and you're looking to do like walkthroughs like we kind of talked about, this is a good way to like fill out your, you know, form through your walkthrough and then it automatically emails it to the teacher or whatever. I will try and find a tutorial and put it in the show notes if you've not tried oh, it yeah. before, but it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the first time I experienced Autocrat, it was several years ago now, I went to a conference. It might be my First, ISTE, I'm not sure. Yeah. And I sat in a session with Alice Keeler, and she had a URL up on the board that said, fill in this Google form for the resources. So yeah. I filled in the Google form, and straight away I got an email that said, here are the session resources and the handout and all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is black magic. What is going yes, right, on right. here? <laughs> how did this happen? And then as part of this session, she unpacked and showed how that worked. Yeah. It was on forums and spreadsheets and things like that. So, yes. yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, it is. So it's an, I, I, and as far as like teachers using it with your students, they could be putting stuff into, I mean, they could be setting student goals. Um, they could be giving feedback. They could be, I mean, somehow filling out student portfolio stuff. I mean, whatever. You set this up and the kids fill out that form and it will automatically generate a Google template um, and link and send that specifically to your kids. And you can set up who it gets shared with and everything. It is black magic. Although I will tell you that sometimes there are glitches. Yes. Yes. So I have one that. autocrat set up that it still sends me emails and oh, saying your autocrat did not run. Working. Yes. <laughs> and then you click on it and it's there and, and it it's did fine. run. Yeah. And it's like it's hmm. weird. Okay. Okay. All right. My last tech nugget. Then um, I feel like we're we're pretty generous with the tech nuggets I know. today, I aren't we? Have, yeah. I we know. Have, well, well, you threw me off when you said you hadn't heard a storyline online. I was like, geez, I guess I'm going to go with this. All right. Okay. So my last tech nugget, you know those good people over at remove.bg yes, that remove the backgrounds one. from your pictures? Yeah. Well, they have a new site project called unscreen.com right. that removes video backgrounds from videos and GIFs. So yeah. I think this is kind of fun. It's just yeah. uh, a short one we could do. It's a little limited right now because if you upload a video, it will only work on the first five minutes of your video. Oh, um, that still seems pretty generous. I That's, think it's yeah, pretty good, right? yeah, for the most part. Uh, yeah. But if you had a longer project, I mean, I don't know why you would want more than that. We split it up in small chunks. Yeah, sure. Upload those chunks in smaller pieces. Right, and then pieces toss them into something and later. And toss them in there, and it will take the background out so it's – 
it's again, it's like green screen without the green screen. I know. So it's kind of fun. Uh, and what's also fun is they have this thing called search for a GIF. Okay. And it integrates with Giphy. So you can just find any oh Giphy GIF oh and remove the background from it. Nice. And then uh, they have a bunch of uh, backgrounds already here that you can just put in the background and choose of your own if you mm -hmm. want to. Mm -hmm. Or you can just download it and, and throw it into something else and put your own background on there. Mm, all so, the fun. Mm -hmm. Unscreen.com to remove backgrounds. There's a pro version on the way that does more than five minutes and takes the watermark off and all that sure. other stuff. I know green screen is, I don't know, is it going to become obsolete? Um, maybe. All I mean, because of this one little tool. Yeah. Technology, yeah? Yeah. All right. So I guess I have one last tech nugget. It's just like <laughs> this box of nuggets is overflowing. <laughs> So um, I came across this YouTube channel called World Ahoy, and um, it's just like short five-minute videos talking about events in history or historical people or things that, you know, human beings should just know about our history of the world, things about the world. Um in like a user-friendly like kid format. And it's just called World Ahoy YouTube channel. All kinds of little videos there with like fun, annoying music that you're going to love to hear in your classrooms and worth checking out. One I hadn't seen before. I bet they have their channel marked Made for Kids. Oh, I don't know. I didn't even <laughs> look to see. I'm looking at their episodes it here. It should be. Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, yep. Alexander the Great, The mm -hmm. Discovery of America, The Water Cycle, yep. Gandhi, Marco Polo. Yep. Got, yeah, they have Everybody. all kinds of fun stuff on here. The yep. Vikings, South Pole, the first journey around the world. Right. All right. This is also going home with me too. Okay. I'm taking this back I to I think it kind of matches with the student engagement because we're kind of talking about providing different modes of learning. And so I feel like, you know, these are... YouTube videos that'll stand up to like reading an online article or something. So. You could read about Marco Polo in yep. a textbook, but you could also sure. watch this fun animated video. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I All like right. it. Well, we should probably stop there before we okay. just turn this into a nugget yeah, it's episode. All of a sudden, it's yeah, National it, Nugget Day. It almost is by itself. Yeah. Uh, we can find Mindy online at Team Carney. Mm -hmm. I am at Jonathan Wiley. So until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.